Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. From death to life. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we have journeyed through the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and it is a wonderful display that Paul lays out for the Ephesian church of all of the wonderful, tremendous blessings that they have in Christ Jesus. Christ laid out so many blessings for this church. God poured it on when he was blessing them. And Paul is telling them how blessed they really are, not just materialistically speaking, but how blessed they are from a spiritual perspective in Christ, that God blessed them beyond measure, beyond what they could ever ask or think for, that they were truly blessed, that beyond whatever their existential plight was, they were blessed in Christ. He wants to paint the picture that the greatest blessings that we have are not blessings that money can buy, but blessings that God has given. And so he wants to paint this picture that you've been blessed not because of anything you've done, but you've been blessed sheerly because God loved you so much. And so just for us that were not here, for some of us that were not here, um, I want to recap some of the blessings that Paul said that they were blessed with. The first and most important blessing, but also maybe the hardest blessing for us to believe, was that God chose them for salvation from eternity past. That he chose them to be saved from the foundations of the world, that he planned out their salvation in full. And the way he did this was he predestined for them to be adopted as sons and daughters, that he redeemed them, he brought them back from slavery, from death, from slavery to sin, from bondage to sin, he redeemed them, brought them back with a price by none other than the precious blood of his son Jesus. And he did all this lavishing his grace on them because it was his purpose and his will to do so. And then to add on the fact that he adopted them as sons and daughters, he put them in his will and gave them an inheritance that they would not have to wait for, but they could experience part of it now and get the rest of the inheritance later in full. They were truly blessed. And so he gave them this inheritance to ensure that they would live for God, that they had the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, and the same Holy Spirit would ensure that they would remain saved. These were beautiful blessings that he gave them. And then last week we saw that he prayed this prayer that God would open the eyes of their hearts but also he wanted them to know that God is a powerful God that God is all powerful he is omnipotent he is an all powerful God and that same all powerful God demonstrated that power by raising his son Jesus from the grave and that power that he used to raise his son Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives on the inside of every believer that has been redeemed by Jesus these are incredible blessings that I don't think we can appreciate in full unless we know where we came from. You see, sometimes we can't appreciate our now because we forget our past. And sometimes we need to be reminded of what our past was like in order to appreciate our present. And so if God planned out our salvation in chapter 1, chapter 1 showed us that the past, the present, and the future plan of God's salvation, he showed us how God planned our salvation from the past, what he's doing in the present, and what God plans to do in the future as far as we're concerned. Well, first, if the first chapter is about God, then the second chapter is about the people that God saved. He wants to talk about their past, he wants to talk about their present, and he wants to show them their future. And so he first paints the a picture of their former life, of their past. And this is where the story is very interesting. And Paul paints a picture of the life of these Ephesian Christians before they heard and believed the gospel. And what he has to say paints a horrific picture, one of the most gruesome pictures in all of scripture. And he uses one word to describe their condition. He uses one word. He doesn't call them unhealthy, he doesn't call them sick. He doesn't call them messed up. He uses one word to describe them, and it's a grave word. He says that you were dead. He says before Christ, you were dead. You were absolutely dead. You were, you were dead as far as God was concerned. 
You were dead. You, you were deviating completely from God's righteous path and consistently missing the mark in your life. You, you, were, you were dead. You were D-O-A, dead on arrival. And some of us, that is hard for us to grasp. That's hard for us to, to understand. We can't see ourselves as dead. But the reason we can't is because we don't understand the severity of our sin. And if we understood the severity of sin, then only then could we appreciate the magnitude of God's saving grace. And sometimes we can't appreciate being saved because we don't appreciate where we've been saved from. We think that we've been saved since the day we got into this world. But Paul paints a different picture. He says you were dead in your sins. Why would he say that they're dead just because of some sins? Well, well, well according to the Bible, death is the biblical penalty for sin. It's not a pat on the wrist. It's not a belt that mom pulls out to spank you a little bit because you're in trouble. But death results in, in but sin results in death. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is not life but death. And so, so our sin creates death. Why, why is that, Pastor? Because separ it's separation from God both now and in eternity. Our sin separates us from the grace of God. And so when Paul says this, he's not saying it as a figure of speech. He's saying it as a matter of fact that as far as God is concerned, you are dead in your trespasses. That's not good. That, that's, that's an ugly picture because apart, all people are dead apart from Christ. I know what you're saying. Well, there are people in the world that are not believers that are out there doing good works. They're, they're moving and shaking. I'm on social media all the time. I, I follow these people. They inspire me. I see people doing all kinds of things in the world. They're doing philanthropic work. They're doing things to, 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 issue, uh, uh, to, to issue good in the world through, through humanitarian efforts. There are people that are doing great things, great causes, inventing great things that we can use. And, 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 and so you're telling me that these people are dead? Yeah, they are. You ever seen a zombie? A zombie is dead, but he's still moving around. He's still walking around. And so here's the thing we need to understand, that although people in the world can do good works, those works are not done with the conscious to please and glorify God. And so God is like, I'll take your works, thank you, but I don't also at the same time receive your works because they're not done towards me. They're done for your own selfish reasons and for your own selfish pride. And so we have to understand that even good works apart from Christ mean absolutely nothing. Even good works apart from Christ are called dead works. And so although you can do good stuff because you don't have Christ, according to God, you are dead. You are dead. And the only thing that you are alive to do is you're alive enough to be active in the practice of wickedness. Dead to God, but alive to your sin. And so Paul wants us to know that there are three ways that people walk around or that you and I walked around in our deadness. And these are three things that you want to take note of. These are the three things, the world, the devil, and the flesh. The world, the devil, and the flesh. The world, the devil, and the flesh. Let's deal with the world. Verse 2 says, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. What does he mean? Does he just mean the regular cosmos? Of course I walk according. According, uh, live according to the ways of the world. I, I live in the world, but he's not talking about the material world as much as he's talking about a social value system which is alien to God. Any system that puts people in opposition to God. It could be a political system, an educational system, a governmental system, or a cultural or societal system that is opposed to God. And so what he's saying is you lived according to the standard set by the world that was around you. Let me make this clear to you. Some of us grew up in communities where certain stuff was okay, but not until we got out of that environment did we realize how crazy it was. But while we were in it, we thought it was normal. We thought it was normal for two people to come together and live in a house and not forgive each other and yell at each other and fight each other and fuss at each other. We thought that that was a normal way of being until we stepped outside of it and we realized that was some craziness and some nonsense. Some of us thought that if you go in a community and all of the girls in high school are, are pregnant, okay, that's not a condemnation, but if that is the case because that's not God's design, God designed a man and a woman to be together and come together and that sex will be inside of marriage, but because we grew up in an environment where that was normal it really was just acceptable only did we get out of it and then Christ opens our eyes and we see man that was crazy back then that's a system that's a system some of us grew up in impoverished environments and so we treat our money like we're gonna lose it 
And so I'm frugal. No, you're not. You have a poverty mentality because that's all you saw. And you thought, the more I hold on to it, the more I have. And not until God opened your eyes did you realize the more I give away, the more I have. Why? Because you are a victim of a system. It's a system. And so there are systems out there that have an effect on the way we see and view the world and by the way that we act. And today it plays itself out more so on social media than anywhere else. Let me tell you why. Because anytime there's a movement, there's some social cause, even believers get behind it and repost nonsense without thinking about it first. And so whatever the thing or the issue of the day is, we get behind it without first investigating it first, not knowing that it's being pushed, pushed by a system that is behind it to get you to think a way that you shouldn't, that you shouldn't be able to think. And so we as believers have to be mindful, but when you're in the world, you follow behind whatever you see on social media and we eat it up and we don't question it, we just look at it as a good cause. And so we get behind every cause, we pick up whatever the language or vernacular of society is, we take in every single train of thought without ever questioning it. Some stuff sounds good and noble and we believe it's right because it was said by a celebrity and a person in the world never filters things through the lens of scripture. And that is hard for me, that is really hard for me that we take anything we see on social media and we get behind it. But what I find interesting is that if you hear the unadulterated, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, and it says something that you don't like or agree with, you question it and you disagree with, or it's met with lofty or hefty dose of skepticism. Oh, I don't know if I believe that. I don't agree with the Bible. I mean, some of it is good, but I don't agree with that part. Don't you think that's a little antiquated for now? God, God would have changed his mind. Like if it's 2019, God would change his mind to like 2019, right? But the Bible says that God stays the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God does not change. He's immutable. But we question it. If God says that you are saved by my sovereign grace, not by anything that you've done, that I chose you and planned out your salvation from the foundation of the world, because you are so prideful that you want to play a role in your salvation, you have a hard time receiving the free gift of salvation that comes from God because it doesn't feed into your pride. And so we have no problem expecting the world's thought process, but we reject some stuff that comes with scripture. Why? Following of the system of the world. And that's just the mind part of it. But if it's a system out there that is opposed to God and it's not led by God, then it must be led by somebody else. And part of verse 2 tells us that it says, according to the ruler of the power of the air, who is that? The spirit now working in the disobedient. What is he talking about? Because the world system doesn't create itself. It's a system that is in opposition to God. Therefore, it must have a leader. And who is the leader? The leader is Satan. And so if there is world systems out there, then there is somebody behind it. And it's Satan. And I think we as believers oftentimes forget that God has spiritual enemies. That there are people that are working unseen forces that are in the world working against God and against God's people. Oh man, I don't feel, I feel crazy today. I don't know what's going on with me. I feel like something's bothering me. You don't need no medicine. That's a demonic force that's maybe working against you. And so we sometimes are so oblivious to what is going on in the world around us that we forget that there, are, there is spiritual warfare going on against us and the devil is working around the clock. He's working around the clock and we forget about it. We don't pay attention to it and we just push it aside and dismiss it when the Bible is clear that there are unseen forces that are at work in the world that are out there to throw Christians off course. And he has his world system. And here's what he does to us. Here's what he does to us. He'll take something and he'll put a little bit of truth in it. And because we don't investigate and we don't have discernment and we don't utilize the Holy Spirit, we just take it what he says at face value because it has a little bit of truth in it. We love all people. We should support all people. We should support all people. Cool, right. We should love all people because all people are created in God's image. But you as a Christian shouldn't be posting a rainbow on your page if that rainbow isn't a sign of the Noahic covenant that God promised never to obliterate the earth again. If your rainbow is representative of anything except Noah seeing the rainbow and God promising that he would never destroy the earth again, if it means anything else than that, you are following the world system. 
a little bit of truth surrounded by a whole bunch of lies. World system, world system. And there are, there's a force that, are, that are works in the world to shape the people of God's way of thinking and their way of behaving. And it says this is a spirit. It is a spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. These are people that reject and rebel against the authority of God, but they are responsive to the promptings or the influence of Satan's kingdom. And oftentimes you wonder as a Christian, why are people hostile to God? Why are people okay with any form of spirituality? But when it comes to Christianity, everybody goes at Christianity to get rid of Christianity or to try to disprove Christianity or throw all kinds of shots at Christianity. Everything is okay except being a Christian. Why is that? Why is it that when you come and you are Christian, somebody turns their nose up at you or it's met with some sort of snide remarks or people look at you like you are crazy? I want to tell you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells you why they can't see what you are seeing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see what you see. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. They can't see what you see. And you're wondering, they, they don't see that. Oh, my God. They don't see this evil. They don't see how crazy this is. No, they don't. They, they don't. There is, there is a real enemy and a real force at work in the world, and we cannot undermine him. We cannot undermine this. You, can't, you, you sometimes have to stop and think, okay, what is going on here? Maybe it's not what I'm seeing. Maybe I can't figure out why this situation is working out the way it is. I can't figure out why these things are bad the way they are. I can't figure out why I feel the way I feel. Maybe you should stop looking at practical human methods and come up and recognize, maybe, maybe this is something spiritual. Maybe something else greater is at work in the world that I'm not seeing right now. And so I need to go to God in prayer and ask him to open the eyes of my heart so I can see what is going on around me. But we'd rather be lazy than do spiritual warfare. And so we tend to think that, oh, it must be just talking about evil people, people that do really heinous crimes, people that do heinous crimes. But no, that's not necessarily the case. Some of the most peaceful People put out some of the most evil things in the world. And it looks good on the surface. But if you look at the underbelly of it, it reveals so much. It reveals so much. So now you have the world. You have the devil. Those are without. But Paul says that, that's not the only thing at work here. That's not the only thing at work here. In verse 3, he says, we too, all, all, you, all, previously lived among them in our desires, our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our, inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So if the world and the devil are outside, he says that there's also a force called you that is working on the inside. Everything ain't the devil made me do it. Some stuff, you wanted to do it. You were inclined to do something. You were inclined to do disobedience. You were inclined to disobey God. And, and, and he says, it's interesting because he says uh, fleshly desires, which typically refers to some sort of sexual, uh, some sexual deviance or some sexual sins. But he says carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. It's not just actions. It's not just those filthy fleshly actions that people take or that people do. He takes it a step further and he says flesh and thoughts because some of us don't commit sins with our body but we do it in our hearts. But we do it in our minds. I would never sleep with another woman's husband but you've thought about doing it before. That's my boy. That's his girl. I would never look at his girl. I would never take his girl, but you've thought about taking his girl before. Yeah. Preach, 
You've never acted out murder. But somebody's made you mad enough that you've thought about it before. Mm hmm Yep. What we wouldn't do if there wasn't a law. And he's saying, I want to address those too. Because the sins of your thoughts are just as bad as the sins of your flesh. And a person with an unredeemed, unregenerated mind will do whatever comes to their thinking. And so he's saying this is what it looks like when people are in the world and they are dead. They can't respond to God, but they do respond to their flesh. They do respond to their unredeemed nature. And some of us deal with so many things in our mental, our mental thoughts, whether it be pride or sinful ambition or malice or envy or just hostility to God's truth. Or some of us just deal, fellas, be honest, some of us deal with uncontrolled rage and anger. And those are sins of our thoughts, sins of our hearts. And Paul says that's the reaction and that's the course of dead people. He paints a gruesome picture. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. He says that, that, that we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. We were dead on arrival. We were born into sin. No one is born saved. Get that out of your mind. No one is born saved. Just because you went to church with your grandmother going up does not make you a Christian. I don't want to know where you went to church. I want to know what was the moment of salvation for you. When did you recognize your need for God and respond to it? If not, then you're still dead. Still dead. In church, but dead. We might as well have a funeral service. In church, but dead. But dead. No, no one escapes this. Even David said in Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David is talking about the natural condition that every man and woman was born in, that we were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And all of us have a corporate solidarity. Hear me, don't get afraid of my words. All of us have a corporate solidarity with Adam. Man, I, I'm, I didn't do nothing. I wasn't with Adam in the garden. I didn't sin with Adam. Why, why, why do I have to pay the penalty for sinning with Adam? I, I, don't, I don't have nothing to, I don't have anything to do with that. But, but you do have a solidarity with Adam. Here's what Romans 5 and 12 says. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. All sin, all sin. But I wasn't with Adam. I had nothing to do with that. If I was, look, if I was there in the garden, as soon as that, 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 that snake, that serpent would have offered up that fruit, I would have stepped down and knocked it out of his hand. I said, get away from here, Satan. We don't want this. We're following God. Get away from us. Get, take your fruit basket. Take your edible arrangement. We don't want your edible arrangement. Get it out of here. We're trusting in God for our provision. Get it out of here. But really what this is saying is if you were to put in Adam's situation, you would do the same thing that Adam did. No, I wouldn't have. Yes, you would have. No, I wouldn't have. Yes, you would have. You know how I know? Because you still disobey God now. But you think if somebody offered you all of the knowledge and all of the access of everything in the world that you're going to turn it down. But you can't stop cussing on Tuesday. You, you can't stop from going on a vacation with somebody that you're not married to. Just, just, just. going on vacation by myself. Who taking the pictures then? Who taking the pictures of you and your bikini though? Who was that? I just want to know who taking the pictures. You said you walked up to somebody, can you take a picture with my phone? I'm just trying to figure out who's taking the pictures. That's all I want to know. And this is the picture that, that, that Paul paints. 
it is a gruesome picture of our sin that it is it is not something we can escape from it is a horrible and a gruesome picture and here is the thing about sin most of us don't know the severity of our sin there is a quote I will never forget it for the rest of my life that says if sins consequences were made immediate it would have less takers but we think because we don't get caught or because there are no immediate consequences that God ain't paying attention, that God is somehow asleep at the wheel, or that God somehow has found a way to be okay with our sin. But that is not the case But it's because it says, by nature, we were children under wrath. What does that mean? Ooh, wrath. Wait a minute. They told me that God is just love and God just loves God is just a God of love. Why do we have to talk about sin? We always talk about his love. That's all we need to hear is that God is love and love is us and us is love and us is God and God is us. Love, 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 love. But this paints a different picture because it says something about wrath, about God's wrath. And this is not something that is just, God ain't like us where we just fly off the handle at any moment. God's wrath is God's settled indignation. It is a divine reaction to only one situation, sin. God hates sin. He's hostile to sin. And sin is hostile to God. God cannot stand sin in his presence. The only thing God knows to do about sin is kill it. God cannot stand sin. He can't, he can't take it. He's allergic to it. He hates it. And God hates sin so much that he refuses to settle and compromise with it even if the church does. Even if the church does. And this is God's attitude towards men and women that are sinners and have refused to accept God's gospel of grace and salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And so what does this wrath look like? Does it look like something in the future? No, this is not a future wrath, although it is. It is not just a wrath for the future. It's also something that is building and intensifying now. How do you know that? How do you know God's wrath is building up right now? Because I don't see God's wrath. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, here's what you're doing. You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Storing up. Storing up. This is not a process of something that will happen. It's something that is already happening. And we think God's wrath is some outward punishment when in actuality, here's what God's wrath looks like. He allows the people in the world, individually and as a society, to do whatever they want to do. Oh, you thought wrath was God is going to come and set something on fire like today. If I do something, God is going to come get me and slap me on the wrist and punish me and say, don't do that anymore. No, that's not how God does. God is allowing you to stir it up. Be careful when you so comfortable in your sin and you keep doing it and God doesn't seem to be stopping you. And you think, oh, I'm just getting away with it. I'm still doing it. God is not seeing it. No, God is just allowing you to do whatever you wanted to do when there's no longer a struggle, when it's just sin, when it's just sin there, and you can't do nothing. You're just doing it. You're just in it. You just, you know what God's wrath is like? It is like a parent who, when you do something, or you, when somebody does something to you, you don't say something at first, fellas. You just kind of get quiet and get silent. And then there's somebody does something again, or your mother sees you do something again, and she doesn't do, do anything. And then one day, you do something that ain't really that bad, and she beats you like it's 12 years a slave. <laughs> and you're like, what did I do that bad? What you don't realize is, she was mad at you a long time ago. She was just letting you further put yourself in a further hole. And then on one day, she just unleashed everything on you. Fellas, y'all know what it's like. We'll say nothing, we'll say nothing, we'll say And then somebody does a little bit of something. And we already been on edge. And then we explode. They be like, where did that come from? Because you were storing it up. And that's what God is doing about our sin. And we think God ain't paying attention. No, that's called God stirring up wrath. And this is what is happening to everybody who is not a believer. This is a bad picture that we, are, that, that we were slaves of the world, slaves of the devil, and slaves in our own internal, internal deadness where we were just only responding to wickedness and practices of sin. This is, a, this is horrible. This is hopeless. You know why it's hopeless? Because dead people don't respond. Notice Paul, Paul doesn't suggest... Then I'll just give them a 
little bit of Jesus. Just give them a, a little bit of medicine and they'll be okay. Dead people don't take medicine. You can't put a do CPR on somebody that's already dead. You don't put electric shocks on a body that already don't have no life in it. They're already dead. There's nothing you can do to a dead person. Dead people don't respond to anything. And this is what they were. So if you're dead, how are you going to respond? Further proves the point of election. Because dead people don't make choices. <laughs> dead people don't make choices. So how did you? And this is a bad situation. This is bad news. This is all bad. This is horrible. This is hopeless. This is helpless. This is deplorable. This is crazy. There's no way out. Nobody can get themselves out of this situation. And then something happens. Go from darkness to light. Down by 100 points. But you got Tom Brady in the locker room. And Tom Brady, all he does is just win the Super Bowl. He lets you have a good regular season. <laughs> and then Tom Brady get to Tom Brady. And you already know what happens. And the game is never over when you got Tom Brady. But we got something better than Tom Brady. And then the whole story changes. In verse 4, you read it earlier. Those two words, in a sense, contain the whole gospel. Verse 4 is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does the beginning of verse 4 say? But God changes the whole situation. Dead in your sins and your trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace, but God. But God, I was looking at this text and I just started to think for a couple hours about my life and about my past and everything I kept, kept coming up with that was bad, I had to put a comma there and say, but God. I think about all the stupid stuff that I used to do, but God. And so I'm going to allow you once again issue out a preaching license for you this morning, and I'm going to allow you to take a journey with me through my but Godness. And so if you want to join in, you can join in with the rest of the chorus and sing along with but God. So here's what I'm going to do. Verse 4, dead in my sins and trespasses, but God. I was once a victim of my own circumstances, but God. I was headed down the wrong road a few times about to throw it all away, but God. Grew up in an environment not conducive to a life that would amount to anything, but God. If you saw my face Family and see how I turned out from some of the people that I grew up with. I could have and should have been gone, but God. When I look back over some of my old social media posts and see where my mind used to be, you would think I was crazy, but God. I cried over some people that broke up with me and tried to chase them down and hold on to a toxic relationship. And now I see how foolish I was and the bad decision I was about to make, but God. And so thank you for butting God with me. The more we can see and understand how hopeless a situation was before God's grace and mercy, the more we can appreciate the deliverance that God has provided to us through his son. And so oftentimes we don't believe and appreciate the gospel because we don't know how bad our plight was. But God did this, the Bible says, because he was rich in mercy. Mercy just means he had pity on us. He looked at us, and he did not give us what we deserved. And he stepped in, and he did all of this because he had a great love for us. It is a love that nobody deserves. It is a love that we can only hope to explain, but we could never truly comprehend the love of God. And this love that he shows is not to people that are innocent, but people that are guilty. This is amazing. And it says, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. He called us out, brought us forth to life, and we responded to the gospel. We went from being unable to respond to being conscious of God. We heard the gospel, believed the truth of the gospel, repented of our sins, put our trust in the finished work of Christ, and a new power began to work on the inside of us. You know how you're alive in Christ? 
when you still struggle. Because dead people don't struggle. Dead people don't do nothing. But what used to not bother you now bothers you. You feel a little something on the inside every time now. You, your mind says, you know you, know, you know you shouldn't be doing this. You know you shouldn't be doing this. And now you give thought to it. And, and, and if you tap into the Holy Spirit, you might be able at some point to walk away from what held you captive. And so this is power that is working in us, not for something we did, but God made us alive. He made us alive. And here's the central theme of the passage. It says you are saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God, the love of God going out to people that don't deserve it. There is no reason why God should have acted as he did for us. Salvation in Christ is more than forgiveness. It's deliverance from death, from slavery to sin, and from the wrath of God. And so we need to just sit in that and understand the depth and the, 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 the magnitude of God's grace and mercy. Oftentimes we skip by that because we think we deserve God's blessing. And I'm sorry, society has misled you. You think because you work hard and you get a degree and you came from a good family or you had the resources or didn't have the resources but were able to get the debt to go to college that you deserve it. But none of us deserve to be here. We're all sinners. And the only reason that we're saved is by grace. Let me tell you this about Christianity. Here's what separates Christianity from all other religions. Works versus grace. Every other religion, you name it, is about works. It's about doing just enough right and possibly going to heaven. Or, or standing in proxy for the dead. Or, 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 or if I just tip the scales right in my favor. But who's measuring? Who's measuring? And whose standard are we measuring it by? Everything is works. And Christianity says, no, it's not about our works. It is about trusting in the finished work of Christ. It is trusting in the grace of God and what he's done for me through his son Jesus. Not the works that I've done because I can't do enough works to earn God's favor. But God gave us salvation as a free gift. He gave it as a free gift to people that don't earn it and don't deserve it and cannot work for it. It is a free gift and I don't know anybody but besides crazy people that turn away free gifts. But because we don't have to work for it, people reject Christianity because it doesn't feed into the prideful nature that I had something to do with it. But if you had something to do with it, then you would be able to share the glory with God. And God don't want you to share his glory. And so Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what God has already done for you. What God has already done. And here's the beautiful thing, verses 6 through 7, is that when he poured out this wrath that we deserve on his son Jesus, that suffered in our place for our sin, we no longer were objects of God's wrath, but objects of God's grace and his kindness. And here's what he did. He raised us up with him and seated us in the heaven with Christ. Like Jesus was raised from the grave and ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's a position of honor, power, and authority. And that's where Jesus is. But he put us there with him. Because just like we were united with the first Adam, we're united with the second Adam. And so because Jesus was raised and resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father, according to the Bible, we sit there with him. This is speaking of our union in Christ. We, we have a union with Christ. And to be seated at the right hand of the Father is a beautiful place to be seated because it speaks of honor and power. It speaks of victory. It speaks of security and privilege. And this is not something that is going to happen. It is something that has already happened. It is a status change for us. Our environment has changed. When we got saved, everything was different. Our location changed. We went from earth to heaven. That Although we're not there, we're still there. Y'all don't get it. Let me tell you. Let me give you an example. Um, let's pretend, nobody in here, but let's pretend you had a job that you didn't like, right? But you got a call and got offered a job somewhere else, Someone completely, somewhere completely better. Somebody calls you and offered a job. You, you got it. You got a new job. And so you go into your 
present job knowing you got another job that you're going to in a little bit. All right? When you walk in there, your present job, the nonsense now becomes a little bit more tolerable. Right? You carry yourself with a different confidence knowing you got something better. You don't even argue with your coworkers and your manager anymore. You just let everything run off your shoulders because you know you got something. And your walk into the office is a lot different when you got that two-week notice in your back pocket. <laughs> we feel different because although we're still at the old job, this life, we have a new job that we've already been hired at. And it's just a waiting period to get there in full, but the job is already yours. So your whole mindset is different. You are, I don't know what y'all talking about. <laughs> I'm ready to the job already. They don't know it, though. And so some of us need to write the devil a two-week notice and carry it with us in our back pocket. But in case you didn't find a template online, I got one for you. I sincerely regret, not really, to inform you that as of Sunday, March 3rd, I'll be terminating my employment at The World, Inc., Effective immediately. I have served in bondage here for the last X years of my life and have built some draining and toxic relationships that I will not cherish for the rest of my life. I will be moving on to a work for a family business that has given me the promotion that I've always longed for and they have provided benefits that are paid in full. I have my own office seated at the right hand of the father, I'm sorry, the right hand of the CEO of the company. It is a job that I cannot get fired from because the covenant, I'm sorry, the contract that I signed guarantees my employment for the rest of my life. And you need to walk around for the rest of your life with a two-week notice in your back pocket because it's already yours. You ain't got to wait for nothing. You already there. And the only reason he did this was to show you his kindness, to show it off for you. The show off, if last week he poured out his immeasurable power, this week he's pouring out his immeasurable grace. Amen. It's a grace that nobody in here deserves. Notice I didn't say you got a job that you interviewed for. Because this wasn't, don't hear prosperity in this, because this wasn't a job that your skill sets could get you into. You got this job because somebody else went to God, the, I'm sorry, the CEO on your behalf and they fill all the requirements that you could not fill in your own self. Their skill set got you in there, not you. They got you the corner office, not you. And that's what salvation in Christ is. Salvation in Christ is a gift from God. It's a gift from God that comes to us by faith. Not your faith that I'm gonna get a new car, faith that I'm gonna get a new job, faith that I'm gonna get a new house, faith that I'm gonna get $100,000 in my bank account, faith that I'm gonna get an unexpected check in the mail, supernaturally, that's not, what I'm, that's not faith. <laughs> that's what you were taught, hyperbole, nonsense. Biblical faith is faith in an object, but not a material object. Biblical faith is an object, but the object is in Christ. My faith is in what Christ has already done. My faith is in the finished work on the cross that Jesus did. My faith is that the Father raised him from the grave and seated him at his right hand. My faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that is what biblical faith is, and that faith itself is also a gift from God. How do you know that the faith is a gift? Because his faith is mine. No, the faith is a gift from, a father. Here, from the Father. Here's why we know. Because if you had faith on your own, that's impossible because dead people don't have faith. So where you get faith from? Dead people don't receive faith. Faith has to be imparted into a person. And God allows us and gives us and grants us the grace, the gift of faith to be able to respond to what he has done for us. And so everything is a gift. And if you are not settled on receiving God's free gift of salvation and you'd rather have salvation by works, if you'd rather do that, then it's no longer grace. Show you one more scripture. Well, actually, I'm going to show you two more, but that's all right. Romans 11, verses 5 through 6. 
Here's what it says. In the same way, Romans 11, 5 through 6, in the same way then there is also at the present a time a remnant, do, a remnant what? Chosen, Chosen by what? Grace. Now if by grace, then it is not by what? Works. Otherwise what? Grace. So if you work for it, it ain't grace. If I haven't said this already, the impetus of the Christian life is that we have been saved by grace. That salvation is a gift. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to fly a plane into a building hoping that we will go to paradise. We don't have to turn towards Mecca and pray five times a day. We don't have to stand in proxy for grandmama and pray that she can get into heaven based on our prayers, that she sits in purgatory. We don't have to go to the priest for him to get rid of our sins. We have a high priest. Christianity doesn't require you to go to a middle man. If you need to get in contact with, with Jesus, don't text John. Mimi, don't, don't do it. You got a Bible. <laughs> Christianity takes out the selfish pride from right up under you. So you have nothing to stand on but sheer mercy and grace. That it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. Because God doesn't share his glory with people. And so salvation, can you imagine if your faith was based on you? You know how unstable you are. <laughs> you know sometimes you believe and other times you can't be found God got to use GPS to get in contact with you that's why it's a gift why am I a Christian I am a Christian because I believe in the finished work of Jesus I believe that my salvation is not even up to me I put my trust in what has already been done for me. That is why I am a Christian. That is why I am not some other person from some other religion. And, and shout out to all people because all are made in the image of God. But I, I believe that there is only one God and his name is Jesus. I believe firmly in John 14 and 6 that no man comes to the Father except through me, through Christ. But even in that is a gift. So now that I believe the gospel, what am I supposed to do? Verse 10 and I'm done. It says in verse 10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Workmanship. Workmanship comes from a Greek word called poema, where we get our English word poem from. And what it means is something that has been made. It means a work of art. We are his work of art. And so when Jesus comes in, he doesn't come to reform us or tweak us a little bit or add something on or, or, or modify us. Jesus comes in to recreate us. He makes us entirely brand new, and we're not just something that he made. We are his masterpiece. We are his work of art. We are his prized possession. We are the apex of God's creation. We are the best thing that he ever made. And so he doesn't take all of our broken pieces and put it back together again. No, he gives us an entirely new nature and makes us new. You don't believe me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come if you are in Christ you are brand new you're brand new we're regenerated by the spirit but here's the thing he saved us for good works that he planned ahead of time but I thought you said we don't work for our salvation we don't work for our salvation we don't work to secure our salvation but work is the fruit of our salvation we do good works because we have been saved not to get God's approval, but we love our wives because God has saved us. We love our brothers and sisters because God has saved us. We love our husbands because God has saved us. We do good and right in the world because God has saved us. We show up to work on time and are good stewards of God's time and other people's time because God has saved us. And so we don't do good works to win God's favor. We do good works because God's favor has found us. 
And so we don't work backwards. We don't work to win God. We work because victory has already been won for us. We are God's workmanship. Well, how do I know my purpose? I don't know how you know your purpose. You discover it. You don't pick your purpose. You discover your purpose. And when you discover your purpose, you work as unto the Lord. What do I do in the meantime? Work as unto the Lord. You be faithful where you are. You love God and love your neighbor where you are. You are an extension to Christ, of Christ in the world, in the earth. You are part of God's plan of salvation to reconcile the rest of the world. You go out, you preach the gospel, you live out the gospel, you share the good news of what God has done for you. And even if you don't know how to evangelize, I know two words after today that you know how to say, but God. Why are you a Christian? My life was crazy, but God, but God, but God, he created us for his work as his workmanship. And the last thing I'll say for those of you in the room that are unbelievers, this is not to condemn you, but this was to encourage you. And number, number two, to hopefully the Holy Spirit convicted you that without Christ, Biblical Christianity, there is no salvation. I know that sounds harsh in our culture where everything is acceptable except for Christianity, but it's the truth. The truth of the matter is if you are not in Christ, the wrath of God is on you. That should scare you to death. Well, it shouldn't scare you to death because if you're not in Christ, you already did. But the good news, the but God for you right now, is that you were not in Christ and you showed up to church today. Today is your but God day. Today is your but God day. That today, if the Holy Spirit has touched you, that means God has made you alive. You have a clearer picture now. Here's what it says in John 3:36, last scripture I'm reading. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Today, God wants to take you from spiritual death to life. No condemnation today. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.